0: Cinema Silo, a podcast where three sisters recreate the post-movie theater experience. I'm Frankie. I'm Jesse, and I'm
1: Annie. This is our first free reeling episode. Today we're gonna discuss our hot takes on the 93rd Academy Awards ceremony, and we'll also share listener recommendations and respond to listener mail. Well, one listener's multi-part mail that leads us to answer questions about previous episodes in this pod, discuss the new releases we're most looking forward to in 2021, and surprisingly, to talk about John Candy movies. And we
0: are here uh, a few days after, well, actually almost a week after the Oscars, and I watched it. Did either of you watch the Oscars last week?
1: I watched about five minutes here and there. I was like, why is the camera work like this? Where are all the movie clips? Which I love to see. Oh, yeah. And then I found out that Steven Soderbergh was one of the producers. And I was like, ugh.
0: It looked like the BAFTAs. They had all these interesting angles (laughs) during the speeches. There are no clips, which, okay, I agree with Jesse. Comes down to it, I just want to see clips. Right. I just want clip packages. It's like the best part. Yeah, I mean when, when Glenn Close started twerking. Oh my god, she deserved
1: an Oscar for that bunch of nonsense that she did.
0: So in general, I think we're all kind of negative on the Oscars this year. <laughs> <laughs> Which I mean, I don't know about you but personally I love the Oscars. Like I love watching these people. I mean, it's not as fun as the Golden Globes, right? When they're all like drinking, you have like <laughs> you have like TV. D-list celebrities next to, like, Meryl Streep at the same table. <laughs> but it's still really fun. Um And this year, I mean, I think it's been a very odd year for movies, for new releases, which was definitely definitely reflected in the show. I don't know. I mean, I think, first of all, did any of these films that were nominated this year feel essential to you? No, because I barely saw any of them. <laughs> yeah, I mostly watched
2: everything after In the weeks since the Oscars, I have watched almost all of them in preparation for this conversation, just in case you two wanted to talk about
1: them. Um. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) There are a bunch that I want to see, that I hope to see, but I didn't feel compelled to see them in anticipation of the Oscars.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think a big part of that, too, is that because they were all direct to streaming, it feels less uh, immediate that you have to go out to the theater to see them before the Oscars, right? Yeah. I mean, that's usually what we do is around the holidays, you know, around Christmas, New Year's, we go and we see a lot of the Oscar-nominated movies or what we think will be Oscar-nominated in the theater. And this year, I don't know, there just wasn't momentum because it's all direct-to-streaming.
1: And I like that, actually. That makes me feel like I have more control over my viewing than yeah. the Academy does because I can't stand the Academy yeah. <laughs> in the past several years with their very white nominees, their very yeah. rigid membership and voting structure. I find it really sucked all the fun out of it for me. Well,
0: let's talk about the big, the big moment from this year's Oscars, which is that they moved best picture to be the third to last award given out that night, so that best actor would be last. And this was clearly done in anticipation of Chadwick Boseman winning best actor. But he didn't, right? Anthony Hopkins won. It was embarrassing to see this happen, right? It was really embarrassing. But I, I also felt it was, it was insulting. <laughs> you know, I mean, I just kept thinking about his widow sitting there watching this happen. It was a weird sort of voyeuristic, like, we're going to use Chadwick Boseman to amp up this award show in this very weird year, right? We're going to get attention for him winning at the end. We're going to build up to it the whole show, which it felt like they were doing. Yeah. And then Anthony Hopkins wasn't even there in person, which I totally understand. You know, he's in his 80s. He lives in the UK. Why would he be there in person? But then there was no speech for the last award. (laughs) And it
1: just felt um, very tone deaf. But it just feels like antithetical to the premise behind a live show. Like a live show is that the show having unscripted moments um, creates drama and magic. By switching around the nominees like that, they were treating it like a movie. Steven Soderbergh was treating this like Mm -hmm. Ocean's 100 or something. And it was just... Nonsense, because you can't plan for it, and clearly they do keep those winners Mm -hmm. secret.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: And it just felt like, okay, we're going to manufacture this moment, and it totally backfired. Clearly, I'm targeting Steven (laughs) Soderbergh as completely (laughs) responsible for this. I mean, I guess at
0: the end of the day, The Father and Anthony Hopkins' performance in The Father is the only uh, performance I haven't seen out of the Best Actor nominations this year. So I can't comment on it. I know Annie has seen it. I mean, he was mind-blowing. He was so good. All I can say is, like, I'm just very glad that it wasn't Gary Oldman who won. Yes. Can you imagine? Can you imagine the vibes in that room? I mean, I I can't. The vibes when Anthony Hopkins, who is, you know, so incredible, so revered, were, were already off <laughs> when he won. So I just, I'm very grateful that Gary Oldman. It
2: reminded won. me of when Moonlight won Best Picture, but, like, the opposite like it was like a negative <laughs> of that experience, <laughs>
0: yeah, the negative.
2: Which was, you know, back when Moonlight won, Warren Beatty read the wrong card and gave Best Picture to La La Land. And then they had to fix it because Moonlight had actually won. And I remember being so disappointed hearing that La La Land was yeah. the winner. And then such a sense of relief and joy
1: that Moonlight yeah, had won. Yeah rearranging the categories that way also took away from Chloe Zhao and Nomadland yes. and that huge yes. historic win. Like what? Yep. yep. I think it's
0: I mean we can everyone who watched saw what they were trying to do. And if it had worked out and Chadwick Boseman had won, it would have been a really incredible moment, right? It really would have been cathartic, I think. But because it is live television, because these are blind ballots, right, the reader doesn't know, and neither does the production team, who won. It was a bold choice. It was a bold limb to go out on. And I'm going to guess that next year when they come back for the Oscars, it's going to be a very traditional show. I don't think they're going to do anything like this again.
2: Yeah, they're certainly not going to nominate like a song from the Eurovision movie again. There were a lot of bold choices this year.
1: Annie, how sad are you that that song did
2: not win? Devastated. It was great. Now that's an Oscar-nominated movie.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I loved Eurovision. Such a good movie.
1: It really was. It really was. I was not expecting it to be great, but it was really, really heartwarming and funny.
0: Oh, Jesse and I got into kind of a tiff about Dan Stevens in this movie. I thought he was remarkable. I thought it was a career-turning performance.
1: (laughs) And Dan Stevens is dead to me because of how he behaved as Cousin Matthew on Downton Abbey.
0: (laughs) Yeah, and then he went on to do what? like (laughs) Beauty and the Beast live action. (laughs) Anyway, I thought he was great in Eurovision because he totally went against his type. And I thought he nailed it. And he looked hot. For me, the appeal of his character was that the whole time I was expecting his character to be this great big, like, Russian stereotype joke. And I mean, that was definitely a part of it, but I I feel like it was one of the more nuanced depictions of that character that I've seen in a Western film, right?
1: Yeah, I think that that goes to what was great about the the movie as a whole is that it didn't feel like it was funny because it was punching down. It felt like it was just genuinely funny. I just I think it is kind of remarkable that a
0: Will Ferrell movie has a more sensitive depiction of a Russian character than a movie like Tenet. <laughs> Which did you did you two see Tenet? No. Yes. Annie, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> yes. Kenneth Branagh played like the most Bond villain Russian ridiculous character I've ever seen. At least at least in this millennium.
2: Yeah. Well, you're not watching Tenet for sensitive characters.
0: Yeah, I don't know why you watch Tenet at all, but that's maybe for a different episode. Yeah, I'll
2: fight you on that.
1: <laughs> Did anyone watch any of the winning shorts? No. Yes. I watched Two distant strangers because it's a time loop movie and I wanted to see what they what they did. Did you watch it, Annie? Yeah,
2: I watched Two Distant Strangers and so I think I like it. I was very moved in the final moments, but the buildup in the beginning I thought was quite slow. I don't know that it needed to be almost half an hour. But it was interesting to it was interesting to get another time loop movie especially after Palm Springs this year. It seems mm-hmm. like time loops are
1: on people's minds. I wonder why. I mean, I I thought it was an interesting use of the time loop storytelling device to show a relentless experience, like the relentless threat of police violence that people of color face in America on a daily basis. Basically ends up encountering the same police officer over and over and over again in the time loop. And then the police officer kills him, usually shoots him every time. Wow. So, Frankie, you should see the
2: documentary short, Winner. It's called Colette. And it's about a woman who was a French resistance fighter in the Second World War who is finally going to Germany. She's never been there in her life. And she goes and visits the concentration camp where her brother was killed. Wow. So you both should watch that. But resistance fighters... In World War II and we just talked about come and see and then two distant strangers was a time loop device and we just talked about Palm Springs (laughs) and then the animated short which is on Netflix just made me sob it was so sad it's called if anything happens I love you and it's about two parents whose daughter spoiler like her their daughter was uh, killed in a school shooting Oh, my God. I didn't know anything about it. And then I started putting it together once I realized what the title was and that you have these two grieving parents and their shadows are like characters in themselves. It's it's very, very good.
1: Wow. OK. Any other o- Oscars thoughts before we move on? So we actually have some listener mail from Caitlin and she asks us, can you just talk about Olivia Coleman? Yes,
2: I could talk about <laughs> Olivia Coleman. I could talk about Olivia Coleman for days. I love her. And yes. clearly I was the only one of the three of us who watched The Father. And Olivia Coleman got the Best Supporting Actress nomination for her work in The Father, playing the daughter of Anthony Hopkins, who is caring for her father, who has like, lost his grip on reality. She's fantastic in this movie. But she's also fantastic in everything she does. hmm Yeah, name something she's not amazing in. Can't do I it. I can't, but I can tell you plenty of things she is amazing in. Peep Show,
0: Sophie Chapman, Fleabag. Oh, Fleabag, so good. She's so good in that because she's so unlikable. <laughs> and I usually don't think of her as being so unlikable, but she plays it so well in Fleabag. Like, it makes your skin
1: crawl. Yes, yes. <laughs> She's amazing in Broadchurch, too, Mm. as the detective. So good. She's got range.
2: She does. Right, because now she kind of became a Yorgos Lanthimos staple, the Greek director, when she played the hotel manager in The Lobster, and then Queen Anne in The Favorite. She's so good in The Favourite. Oh, man. And now The Father, also just excellent. And she has a movie coming out. It's already been shot. It's an adaptation of an Elena Ferrante novel. Yay! <laughs> and I love Elena Ferrante. And Olivia Colman will be starring in The Lost Daughter, directed by Maggie Gyllenhaal.
0: Nice. We, we didn't even talk about The Crown. Oh, The Crown. So yeah, that's Olivia Colman. We love her.
1: We do love her. Uh, Caitlin, as I mentioned, has a multi-part listener mail. Um, Her next question is, what are your favorite John Candy movies? This is so funny because other people mentioned John Candy movies after listening to
2: our podcast episodes. I don't know what we said. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, really? (laughs) Yes.
0: I mean, I think that that is the energy we want to bring. John Candy is the greatest of all time. Absolutely. Absolutely. We got some Stone Cold classics. We have Uncle Buck. He is Uncle Buck. All right. We got planes, trains, and automobiles. Stripes. Spaceballs. Guys. Barf and Spaceballs.
2: Come on. That's probably the first time I saw John Candy was Barf and Spaceballs. <laughs> With Bill Pullman. <laughs> Babe. Ugh. We loved John Candy as the barf to Bill Pullman's Lone Star.
1: I mean, there are other John Candy movies. That I remember when they came out, like Only the Lonely, which has Ali Sheedy and Maureen O'Hara in it. Man, mm. never heard of that. Certainly never seen it. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> that, is, that, is a
0: deep, that is a deep cut. All right.
1: I have not seen it in a long time, so I don't know. Put an asterisk next to that. Needs a re- re-evaluation, perhaps. <laughs> and then the other one is... The Great Outdoors, <laughs> which is another um, deep cut, but also Annette Benning's Silver Screen debut. Really? Interesting. Yep. And Dan Aykroyd plays her husband in classic Dan Aykroyd being <laughs> a jerk role. Yeah. So good. Yeah. Well, he was also starred with Dan
2: Aykroyd. Well, he didn't star. He was in The Blues Brothers with Dan Aykroyd. He played one of the, he was like a p- parole officer or something. Oh. He had, like, small roles in a bunch of those, like, great movies.
1: He was also a a cop in Follow That Bird. I don't know that one. Starring Big Bird. Oh, is that a Sesame Street movie? Yep.
2: <gasps> oh, that's nice. Uh, of course, like, his Wikipedia claims that his breakout role was playing Tom Hanks's brother in Splash.
0: I cannot recall that. I
2: don't remember. I don't, <laughs> don't know. <laughs>
0: Like that Kiki
2: Palmer meme. <laughs> like I'm sorry to this man, but I don't know who this man is. <laughs> yeah, we would be remiss if we didn't mention that he was in National Lampoon's Vacation and Cool Runnings.
0: Oh man, I mean, okay. I my take is my my favorite is probably Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. I think he's so heartbreaking in that movie, and he, he and Steve Martin. Are so good. Like their their chemistry, their dynamic is great. It's it's funny. It's I don't know. They 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 just I I he brings something to that movie that is really special. But Uncle Buck is probably the John Candy movie, right? That is John Candy. Yeah. Like when I think John Candy, my first thought Uncle Buck.
1: Yeah, I agree. I Let's see. Next question is. I'm curious about your thoughts on Come and See relative to Soviet culture, both generally and at the time it was made. Oh, man. Um, And then also, is Frankie okay? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, why?
0: (laughs) Um, You guys could take the second part first while I think of an answer. (laughs) She's
2: fine. She's fine.
0: (laughs) She's okay.
2: She's okay.
0: I think my sisters will agree I have two modes, all right? Really intense, dark, heavy movies or the Kardashians. Like there's no <laughs> there's no in between. It's, it's true. true. You got to have balance. That's what life is all about, you know. It's true. Yeah. Um I All right, this is a really good question. I think I touched on it just a little bit but, uh, in the episode, but so it came out in 1985. LM Klimov spent, I think it was eight years trying to get the film made, but the Soviet authorities kept halting, you know, the process, rejecting it um, and pushing it off. By the time Klimov finally was able to make the screenplay into a film in the mid 80s, the Soviet Union was going through a period of openness, right, with Gorbachev. So there was a reevaluation of the Soviet past. So when you look at Soviet films from the 50s and 60s in particular, a lot of them focus on the Second World War or, as the Soviets call it, the Great Patriotic War. Usually most of these films did it in a way that was, let's say, a little bit more optimistic at the end, a little bit more patriotic, a little bit more glorifying of war. That's not to say all of these films did, but in general, that was the trend. By the time you get come and see, there was a reevaluation of the war, right? And people were really trying to dig into the realities of it beyond just glorifying the people who died in the war. Um, and so, when Klimov started the screenplay and started trying to get it made, the authority, the Soviet authorities, were rejecting it, saying that it was too grim. It was too grim of a depiction of the Second World War. So that I would say that that is basically what changes. There were a lot of political changes under Gorbachev in the 80s that led to these reevaluations of things like the war that allowed come and see to be made at the time that it was made so the the come and see reflects that change uh, very much so it would not have been able to have been made earlier um, certainly the authorities stopped it from being made um, the the process of making this film was really interesting and I recommend if if you have more questions along these lines that you give it a Google because there's a lot that went into it that I can't even begin to comment on.
1: All right. Love that. Um, Okay, then Caitlin's next (laughs) part of her question is, I'd also like to know what movies you're most looking forward to coming out in 2021. And if it's not Downton Abbey 2, what's wrong with you? Uh,
0: It's not Downton Abbey 2 because I haven't seen the first movie. Oh, That's Uh, what's uh, wrong with me, too. (laughs) (laughs) Guys,
2: watch it. I watched it. (laughs) I am sorry. (laughs) You watched the whole show, didn't you? Just watch the movie. Okay, well, I thoroughly enjoyed the first movie and am very much looking forward to the sequel. Caitlin? For me, the number one movie I'm most excited for this year will be coming out, I believe, in September. And that's The Many Saints of Newark. Ooh, the Sopranos prequel. Yes. James Gandolfini's son, Michael Gandolfini, will be playing <gasps> young Tony Soprano. No! Yes. But the the core plot revolves around Christopher's father, Dickie Moltisanti. <gasps> yes. This has been a few years in the making. The release was delayed due to COVID, but it will finally be coming out in September. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm pretty sure direct to HBO Max. It's, I think it's one of those Warner Brothers simultaneous theater HBO release situations, but I am so pumped for this movie because I've rewatched The Sopranos yet again during the pandemic, and I could not be more ready. I am also excited for the release of The French Dispatch. Yes. The new Wes Anderson movie that we've been feels like we've been waiting for for a while. And his last one wasn't my favorite. Isle of Dogs is not my favorite outing from Wes Anderson. So I'm really excited for this one. That's going to be good. And I'm excited for Ghostbusters Afterlife. What? Which may not be a popular opinion (laughs) right here. But I did not, full disclosure, I did not see the all-female reboot of Ghostbusters. Okay. I was very put off and I have not done it, but I'm I'm going to do it.
1: I've decided that I'm going to do it. Here's the thing. I felt embarrassed for myself that I did not chime in and say that I actually liked the all-female Ghostbusters.
0: <laughs> We're going to edit that out.
1: Because <laughs> that's
2: embarrassing. I mean, the best, the thing I'm most excited to see is that Chris Hemsworth is playing the Annie Potts yes. character.
1: Yes. Yes. But he's not only that, he's not even... The the Annie Potts, he's a mimbo. Himbo. Himbo, Jesse. Whatever.
0: (laughs) I mean, I'm looking at the releases for the rest of just this year, like not even looking at 2022, and I'm overwhelmed. I'm overwhelmed. Wait, I need to say why I'm
2: excited about Ghostbusters Afterlife. I'm excited about Ghostbusters Afterlife. It's going to come out in June. It has Paul Rudd. It has one of the kids from Stranger Things. And it has Carrie Coon. Playing one of the, like, the mother. Hopefully she's going to flirt with Paul Rudd. Hopefully they're going to have a little storyline there. Who's Carrie Coon? Carrie Coon is Nora from The Leftovers. And she's such a powerhouse and so good in that. And I'm really excited to see her in Ghostbusters Afterlife, opposite Paul Rudd. All right. Okay. Y'all are rude. (laughs) (laughs) this is exactly the response that i got when i said that i loved annie sandberg and celeste and jesse forever and i had multiple listeners respond to me and say that they also love celeste and jesse forever and that you two did not give it enough enthusiasm so hopefully someone else will agree with me and think that ghostbusters afterlife is worth looking forward to
1: annie when you mentioned why you liked Celeste and Jesse forever, the only thing that you said was Rashida Jones. The question was not, what's your favorite movie that Andy Samberg is in? The question was, what's your favorite Andy Samberg movie? That's, yes. If Andy Samberg is not the number one thing out of your mouth when you say that movie, but it's Rashida Jones. I love their dynamic. I think they have a great dynamic. I'm not going to defend myself
2: here because it's going to take up too much of our time.
0: All right, Annie, anything else?
2: (sighs) I guess I'm excited for the James Bond movie to come
0: out. Oh, that was what I was going to lead with. Yeah. And I hate that you started that by saying,
1: I guess.
0: (laughs) (laughs) How dare you? How very dare you?
1: Go ahead. Sell it. Phoebe
0: Waller-Bridge wrote it.
1: Yeah, I'm excited for that one.
0: Ana de Armas is going to be in it. Rami Malek is going to be in it. Wasn't he already in one? Am I imagining that? You're imagining that.
2: Oh, Maybe I'm just thinking of the trailer. for this one. It's just been coming out for so long that I don't know.
0: It has. It has. It's been coming out way too long. But I'm I'm really I'm actually really looking forward to that one. And talking about like big budget movies, I'm also looking forward to tent like kind of cautiously looking forward to Dune with Timothy Chalamet. Yeah. It's either going to be great or it's going to be terrible. And I'm excited to see. I'm excited to see which it's going to be. No Time to Die. The James Bond movie was my number one. That was what I was going to lead with. I'm also looking forward to, tentatively looking forward to, The House of Gucci with Lady Gaga. Oh my gosh. And Adam Driver. And Adam Driver. The Ridley <laughs> Scott movie. Yeah. The Ridley Scott movie. And his, he's coming out with another movie, too, with Matt Damon and Ben Affleck. No way. Called The Last Duel, I think. And it's about them dueling to the death because one of them sexually assaults the other's wife or something like this. And it's a historical period period. Like medieval knights or something? I don't know. I don't know. Oh my know. God. Okay. This could be entirely wrong. Ridley Scott's really good at the his, like the period pieces with dueling. He did
2: Robin Hood. No, he did a, like a really realistic dueling movie. <laughs> he not... did Gladiator. Yes. No, there's something else. The Duelists. It's called The Duelists. <laughs> <laughs> and it's Harvey Keitel and Keith Carradine and... I've seen some of the scenes on YouTube of them dueling, and it's they're really good.
0: So, so he's he's doing the last duel, and it's it's Matt Damon and it's Adam Driver as the two who are going to duel to the death, and then Ben Affleck is someone else in the movie. So good for him, you know. You know, Matt bring his friend along. Love that. Love that for them. And so I guess Adam Driver, I guess Adam Driver, uh, is going to be in both of Ridley Scott's movies coming out this year, which is pretty cool. Speaking on dueling, another movie I'm looking forward to, which is supposed to come out sometime this year, is The Green Knight. It's an A24 movie, and Dev Patel is going to play Sarah Gawain, Uh, you know, in, in King Arthur. <gasps> yes, yeah, so that's going to be interesting. I'm looking forward to that. That is skyrocketing, oh, top of my list. I'm yeah. excited for that. <laughs> yeah, I love we that. We love Dev Patel. We love Dev Patel.
2: And A24 so. and King Arthur. This is great. Yeah.
1: Yes, <laughs> Yeah, it's got everything. Well, now I'm excited for this year. All these great movies. Awesome. So we
2: also want to thank everyone who listened and call out some recommendations that we got from our listeners. You know, we like to give recommendations at the end of every episode. We we also appreciate if you want to recommend something for us to read or watch or listen to. Specifically, from episode one on Portrait of a Lady on Fire, our discussion of Orpheus and Eurydice, we got a great recommendation to read some of the poetry of Carol Ann Duffy, specifically her collection, The World's Wife, which reimagines a ton of different myths from the perspective of women in those myths and does a lot of what we thought was transformative in Portrait of a Lady on Fire. And there is specifically a poem about Eurydice that reimagines her with far more agency Some of us have now read it, and we also want to recommend it to you guys. It's great. Give it a read.
0: What else have we got? Some people mentioned to Annie that Zizek has this theory about Titanic. So Annie mentioned it to us, to me and Jesse, and then we looked it up. In a sentence, Zizek is a very famous Slovenian philosopher. He is also kind of a meme. I mean, the internet loves him. He has to be seen to be understood. Like, you have to watch this guy and the way he speaks to understand Zizek. It's kind of hard to capture. And I watched Zizek on Charlie Rose talk about (laughs) his theory on Titanic. And what he says is that the iceberg saved them, Rose and Jack, from themselves. And that Jack came into Rose's life as this, you know, member of the working class, the lower class. He teaches Rose how to live on the edge, how to live more freely, how to uh, experience these things in life, and that he had to die (laughs) for this to make sense. And so when he's, it's a little more nuanced than that, I guess. I mean, as Zizek, it's kind of hard to tell sometimes because then he went on to talk about Kung Fu Panda. But... I agree with this take, and I think, I can't remember what I said in this ep- that episode, uh, Portrait of a Lady on Fire, where I talk about Titanic, but that rings very true to me. And honestly, man, I did not know I was going to spend so much time breaking down Titanic on this pod, but sometimes I remember thinking that Jack may- maybe didn't exist at all. Oh my god. And I, I'm sure that this has been disproven, and like some... some Nerds have gone back and like found the moments where other people perceived him. I don't care about that. I, because I think really Jack, he doesn't exist to be a true romance, right? He exists to further Rose's development. So, in that sense, like what Zizek was saying makes sense, right? That it's not really about, um, it's not really a romance. It's really, it's really about her development. But
2: calling other people on the internet nerds is rich coming from you.
0: You know what? You're right. <laughs> isn't, isn't there supposed to be like a new Avatar coming out? Haven't we been hearing that for like 10 years? When's the new Avatar? Who cares? <laughs> where, are the, where are the people who care? First of all, I just Googled it. How much do you think Avatar, which came out in 2009, how much do you think it made in the box office?
2: I hate these games. Ugh.
0: No, guess, guess, guess. One billion dollars. More. Not more, th- a billion? Yeah, more than a billion. It's $2.8 billion. Billion? <laughs> so that's what it says here on Wikipedia. So you can check my source. It says box office $2.847 Billion, billion with a B. Now I'm going to click on the citation. The citation is IMDB. And it was retrieved April 30th, 2021. So I don't know who just updated this for me, but thank you. Keeping, <laughs> keeping our citations up to date. <laughs> doing the lord's work out here on wikipedia do you like do you like avatar uh absolutely not i don't even like titanic so i don't know why i'm <laughs> t- <laughs> why i am going on about james cameron movies but i like to stay out to date i like to i like to know these things
1: okay our next series of three episodes is going to revolve around a theme that i picked it's a little on the nose but we're gonna Pick movies in the theme of sisters. Sisters!
0: Sisters! Sisters!
2: Sisters. (laughs) So I get to pick the first movie we'll be talking about, and that will be the 1992 baseball classic, A
0: League of Their Own. I chose Greta Gerwig's 2019 film, Little
1: Women. I picked the 1987 Danish drama, Babette's Feast. Thanks to everyone for listening to our first four episodes.
2: We hope you keep tuning in. We have loved all of the feedback we've gotten from you, and it means so much to us that you're listening and joining in on the conversation. So keep it up. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at CinemaSiloPod. Visit our website at CinemaSiloPod.com. And feel free to leave us a rating or review wherever you listen to your podcasts. See you next time in the silo.